You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We now take our Bibles and read together Job chapter 40, the verses 1 through 14. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I'll put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I'll question you, and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? Can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at every proud man and bring him low. Look at every proud man and humble him. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. John 17, the verses 1 through 12. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you when they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, For they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer. But they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost 
except the one doomed to destruction, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I proclaim to you this afternoon the word of our God as we could read it from Job and John, as the church has summarized it and we together confess it in Lord's Day 8 of the Heidelberg Catechism. How are these articles divided into three parts? The first is about God the Father and our creation. The second about God the Son and our redemption. The third about God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Since there is only one God, why do you speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because God has so revealed himself in his word that these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has the psalmist Asaph bring this challenge to the wicked of Israel. It's Psalm 50. It says, God, you thought I was altogether like you. We understand, I think, the significance of those words. You thought I was altogether like you. The charge is that people were seeing God as simply a bigger version of themselves, an extension of people. It turns out, brothers and sisters, that this is a theme that comes back time and again in the course of the history of the world. In the days before the Great Reformation, there was a man by the name of Erasmus of the humanist school. And that's to say that he had very positive and optimistic understandings of what the human mind was able to comprehend. Able, he was convinced, to understand God also. Martin Luther once said to Erasmus, Your thoughts of God are too human. Implication? Erasmus saw God as simply man magnified. Erasmus, it turns out, had a profound influence on Jacob Arminius, another man whose name is well known to us of Reformed Persuasion, the canons of Dort were written to correct a number of Arminius's falsehoods. Arminius, as it turns out, though, had a profound effect on North American theological thinking. Today's evangelicalism, it's imbued with Arminian thinking. The thought that somehow God is understandable an extension of people. That explains why a book as William Young's The Shack is so well received in North American Christian thinking. That book portrays God as somehow people magnified, but still human. And I would put it to you, congregation, 
that if that is all God is, simply someone bigger than people, then you lose your comfort. And that's exactly the force and the lesson of Lord's Day 8. Who is God? So much beyond our understanding. And therefore, it's so rich to be his children. I summarize the sermon with this theme. God's identity as three in one puts him far beyond human understanding. In working out that theme, we ask your attention for three points. The first is the human twist about who God is. The second, the scriptural truth about who God is. And in third place, the glorious gospel about who God is. That human twist about who God is. There's a strand in human thinking that very much captures what Arminius was about. And that's this notion that fallen human mind has not fallen all that far. And so we're still able to understand what is good and what is evil. Is able to distinguish good and evil is able then, too, to understand the God who gives good and the God who condemns evil. Understand God. People have tried to do that ever since Genesis chapter 3. And no doubt there always will be people who try to do that. We want to understand, to understand even our maker. And so it's human to put God under our microscope, to analyze how he's put together, to understand how he operates. And the reason for wanting to understand is, perhaps we can then question him. Maybe even criticize why he does what he does. Barter with him so as to accomplish our desires. And so there was Job and Job's friends, all of who fell for this particular fault. Job's friends had a particular perception of who God was. They said to Job that Job is a God who punishes evil. Job is being punished. At least there's evil washing over Job. So, Job, it's pretty clear, you've done evil. It's what they say in Job chapter 4. If it were I... The one friend says to Job, I'd appeal to God. I'd lay my cause before him. He performs wonders that can't be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. And he says in another place, the same notion, 
says he in chapter 8, verse 3, does God prefer justice? Does the Almighty prefer it with his rights? When your children sin against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Come on, Job. It's so clear. You and your children suffer. You must have done wrong because that's what kind of a God God is. And you see, congregation, what these friends have done, they've put God in a box. So it's all neat and tidy and they can understand how God operates. Job, as it turns out, does exactly the same. Says he, I desire to speak to the Almighty, to argue my case with God. And his whole argument is, I have not sinned. And God's righteous. So I'm confused. I don't understand why God does what he does. I want to understand, but my understanding of God doesn't match what I'm seeing. Wanting to understand God. Yes, it's so human. And that's why, congregation, it becomes so necessary that we listen well to God's response to both Job and his friends. And so I'd invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Job chapter 38. Job 38, the Lord answered Job, verse 1, the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, I'll question you, and you shall answer me. And I'll come back to the rest of the following verses in a moment. But notice for now, congregation... How God addresses Job and his friends then. Verse 3, brace yourself like a man. You think you're somebody and you think you can understand God. That's what manhood's about. Well, okay then. Stand up straight. Brace yourself. And I'm going to put some questions to you. And you find the same thought in chapter 40. But then the Lord repeats it in verse 7, right? Verse 6, the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Verse 7, brace yourself like a man. I'll question you, answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? If you have an arm like God's, I'll come back to that momentarily. But again, the point I want to make now is that people have big thoughts of themselves and little thoughts of God. God's just an extension of man. Is man magnified? Well, then, says God, brace yourself like a man. Think you're something? Let me ask you questions. How is all this 
related to Lord's Day 8. My congregation, Lord's Day 8 is about exactly this topic. How big is your God? The confession of Lord's Day 8 wants to impress upon us that he is too big for the human mind to comprehend. Lord's Day 8, Trinity, three in one. Can you fathom that? In the course of the years, people have tried. There's been this instructor who said, his name was Sibelius, God is one, but at different moments in time, he wears a different hat. Sometimes he presents himself as the Father, and sometimes he presents himself as the Son, and sometimes as the Spirit, in the same way as your father, young people, wears the hat of dad at home, of elder in the church, and foreman at work. Say man. Three different positions, and three different expectations, different jobs, depending where he is. Neat and tidy. I can understand God like that. One person, sometimes as father, sometimes as son, sometimes as spirit. Makes sense. I can understand. And the church has said, that's wrong. There's particular problems with this presentation. But the biggest problem is you can't understand God. And so there was another teacher who says, no, Sibelius is wrong. God is one. Just the Father is God. And God the Father once spotted the best man on earth, Jesus of Nazareth, and so adopted him to be his son. And the Spirit, well, that's the muscle of God. That's the power that goes out from God. And again, it makes sense, doesn't it? You can see this kind of arrangement in your mind. Father adopts a son. Yes. There's a power that goes out from him. Yes, we can understand. God, neatly in a package. And again, the church is reacted with, but that's not biblical. And there's various problems with that presentation. And the biggest problem is, You've tried to understand God. But you can't understand. It's beyond that. Yet why would you want to understand God? Simply because if I can understand how he's put together, then I can, like Job, come to God with my questions. I can challenge him. Why do you do what you do? And I can perhaps even say, and Arminius did say this kind of thing, I can even come to God with a bit of bartering. You do this for me, and I'll do that for you. You want to save me? I'll decide to believe. And I'll decide not to believe, and you can't save me. We move on to our second point. The scriptural truth about who God is. Who congregation is God in fact? 
Now we had our finger in Job chapter 38, and I'd like us to go back to that passage. The Lord God addresses Job and his friends out of the storm, says verse 1. Then God first challenged Job and so his friends too to brace themselves and God will ask a question. And the question is verse 4. Where were you, says God to Job, when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand to whom marked off its dimensions. Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across the planets? On what were its footings set? Who laid its cornerstone? Verse 8. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? Who, in other words, made gravity? Can you keep the waves from crashing ashore? And then verse 9. When I made the clouds its garments... And wrapped it in thick darkness when I fixed limits for it, I said, its bars and doors in place. Where were you? Were you involved in Genesis chapter 1? Verse 12. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Hmm. Can you determine when sunrise is? Can you make the sun set? Verse 22, have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble for days of war and battle? Where is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed? And again, the chapter goes on, congregation, and we understand. We had that foot and a half of snow on Christmas morning. Could you make that happen tonight? There was this fog settled over Vancouver for how many days, weeks? Could you lift it? Who do you think you are? And who is your God? You see, that's the force of what the Lord is saying to Job and his friends. And that is why when Job hears all of this, he responds with the words of chapter 40, verse 3, verse 4, says, Job, I'm, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. And we understand his point, God, you're so far beyond my understanding, I can't begin to capture who you are. And then we would say that God would now seize his challenge to Job and his friends, but no, not at all, congregation. For the Lord carries on. Chapter 40. We read part of it. But the passage picks up in verse 15. Look at the behemoth which I made along with you and feeds on grass like an ox. But strength he has. Tails like cedar. And so on. Look at the animals outside, says God. And look at the birds and so on. 
Where do they get their strength from? How do they know how to fly, how to go south, when to come north again? Can you make a bird do that? The whole thing becomes one delightful and enormous picture of who God is. So far beyond human comprehension. And again I ask, what's that got to do with Lord's Day 8? Why, this is God. Beyond comprehension. This God is one God, says the scripture. And yet three. One. Moses is emphatic. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. One God there is. Redemption. The Lord said to Moses at the foot of the mountain, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. God is one. And yet, more than one. Genesis chapter 1. God creates the heaven and the earth, but... The spirits of God is hovering over the waters. God is one. But he says, let us make man in our image. God is one. But he says after the fall into sin, the man is now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. You understand that? One God, using the plural, one God, and yet reference also to the spirits of God there. One God, and then there is Hagar, and she meets the angel of the Lord, and calls the angel of the Lord, calls him God. Does that generate a clear picture in your mind of who he is? We understand. It's beyond my comprehension. So it was when the Lord came to Moses the burning bush. There's the Lord. It's the angel of the Lord. And that is God. Holy ground. The angel comes to Manoah. And yet that is God. How do I have to understand it all? One, yet plural. I can't comprehend it. Jesus Christ came into the world. And John says of this Jesus, John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, the Word was God, and then John adds, and the Word became flesh. What? God became flesh, and then adds again that the world's rejected him. The world rejects God, adds in another place. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. God? And Father are not the same. 
How do you understand it? Jesus says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So there's a difference between the God and the Son. And he says in another place, still, John 10, I and the Father are one. John 17, we read the passage together. There, there's reference of a unity between the Father and the Son. Is it clear to you, congregation, how God's put together the Son is different from God? No, the Son is God. How do you understand it? And that's to say nothing yet of the Holy Spirit. There's passages of Scripture about Him too, that He's true God and yet is distinct from God. What's this mean? That there's two gods? That there's three gods? My little mind says, well, there must be three gods then. Father, Son, and Spirit. And yet the Apostle Paul is emphatic in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, for us there is one God the Father. Comprehend it. I want to, but I can't. Job could not understand how God the Almighty could do the kinds of things he did. And you and I, congregation, cannot understand how God is God. And therefore can't understand how he does what he does. And that is why, in turn, we make the confession of Lord's Day 8. God has so revealed himself in his word that these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. Makes sense? Not to my little created mind. Is that a problem? No. For the God I serve is the creator. And he's so much bigger and so much beyond what I can ever comprehend. And that is why, beloved, there's only one reaction possible. And that's the reaction that the Lord describes in Job 38. When God made the world, verse 7, the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. What a God! So far beyond what any creature can understand, even the angels. And when they see this God forming the world as he made it, they're overwhelmed, they're astounded, and they praise this God so mighty. It's the same reaction as was contained in the passage we read this morning, Revelation chapter 5. Worthy, 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and praise. Why? Because He's God and yet slain. God and therefore triumphant. And so it's fitting that all these myriads of angels, thousands upon thousands, should break forth into song. What a God this is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God beyond our understanding. So we come to our third point. The glorious gospel about who God is. A little God. I could understand. But the God I can't understand, beloved, is so far beyond me. And that's my comfort. That's my encouragement. This God, Father, chose particular people to salvation. This God, Father, gave these particular people to Jesus Christ, to God the Son. The Son went to the cross to die for them, to reconcile these sinners to God. Now, who are these people? The Father is given to the Son. Why, beloved, that's you and me. That's the promise that he gave to you in the sacrament of baptism. Just claim that you belong to him. The sun washes away your sin. Okay. Now a question. Can you be sure that the Father has in fact accepted the Son's sacrifice for your sin? Or might it be that the Father was not satisfied with the Son's payment for your transgressions? Isn't that the kind of thing that happens in business relationships? Two partners working together in business and the one is disappointed, dissatisfied with the performance of the other. Is that the case here? If it is, well, then I can say the troubles I experience in life are because of God's dissatisfaction with me. I'm not reconciled to Him. But in point of fact, beloved, here's the wealth of who God is, the wealth of the Trinity. The three are one. And so there cannot be any discord between the will of the Father and the will of the Son. There cannot be any discord between the work of the Son and the appreciation of the Father. 
What Christ has done on the cross in paying for your sin is received by the Father as perfect payment. He happy with Christ's satisfaction? Yes, he is. And so I'm assured there's perfect forgiveness for my sins. You see, there's the wealth of the Trinity. There's no tension between the two, the Father and the Son. And the same is true in relation to the work of the Spirit. Whose heart does he renew? Somebody else's heart than the one the Son redeemed? Why, no. Those whom the Father has given to the Son are those whom the Son has paid for, has reconciled to God. And now the spirits of Jesus Christ renews those hearts. What do I see in myself? Much brokenness, yes, but also the renewing work of the Spirit. Why, that is God's work in my heart. If the Spirit has changed me to bring forth the fruits of the Spirit, that is to say, I am reconciled to the Father. There is no tension between the work of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Rich? Congregation so wonderfully rich. For it simply means that I am reconciled to God. And then trouble may still happen in my life, but I am not to interpret the trouble as God's judgment. Unless, of course, I do not believe the Lord. Refuse to repent of sin. That's another chapter you well understand. And then I need to repent. But I believe. I embrace the gospel of Christ's work. And so I can say with the Apostle Paul that God works all things for good with those who love him. Also the unpleasant things happening in my life. Yes, they come from God, I have no doubt. For he's too great that anything should fall outside of his control. And all that he gives is given in perfect wisdom. He loves me delightfully, loves me intimately. He's given his son for my sin, I'm reconciled to him. Now all he gives works for good, I believe it. And so I can say with the apostle, I'm convinced. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation is able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing, nothing can separate me from him, not because I am strong, but because he is who he is, God, so far beyond my comprehension. But that's him. And so I'm safe, safe with him.
I love to understand. I want to understand how God's put together. It's my human nature. But now I realize I don't have to understand. Indeed, I cannot understand. I'm allowed to believe. Me. Little, sinful, human me. I'm allowed to believe I'm safe in the hands of the Almighty. So great. He's three in one. So, I go back to the challenges of tonight, of tomorrow, of Tuesday, be it at home, be it at school, be it at work. Challenges. And I want answers. I believe. I don't need answers because I know I'm safe in the hands of this God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, so, so beyond my understanding that that's my God and so I'm comforted. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.